you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling, your host. I'm so glad that you joined me today. Uh, We've got another outstanding guest in store for you uh, to hear from, one of my favorites who has been on podcasts a couple of times. Uh, But before we get to him, I want to tell you about a couple of things that you might be interested in. Uh, First of all, if you're interested in my writing cohort, there's like maybe one spot left. You could still sign up for it, but you have to do it really quickly. You can go to my website and find the links to that. Also, if you're uh, preparing for Easter, if you are a pastor or church leader, want to get your church ready for Easter, or if you're someone who just wants to get your heart uh, ready to celebrate Easter and Lent and the resurrection of Christ, you might check out my book, The Characters of Easter. Uh, I had a great, uh, loved writing this book. It's a follow-up to my book, uh, The Characters of Christmas. Uh, in The Characters of Easter, we talk about the disciples, Peter, uh, John, Judas. Uh, we talk about some of the other figures like um, Pilate and other other important people in the the story of, of Easter. We even have a chapter on Barabbas, on the religious leaders that were against Jesus. So if you're interested in that and if you're getting ready for Easter, please check out Characters of Easter. You can find links uh, on my website, danieldarling.com or find the book at your favorite retailer. I would love for you to get that. Uh, Also, if you're interested in my newsletter, One Little Word, I would love for you to sign up for that as well. Okay, today we are excited to have on the podcast, returning as a guest, J.D. Greer. Uh, J.D. Greer is the senior pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Summit is a great church, one of the biggest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the uh, really largest evangelical churches in the country. What I love about the Summit Church is they are a sending church. So they're always sending out uh, missionaries, people from among uh, their congregation who have put their yes on the table and want to uh, go overseas and do missions. They send church planners around the country. J.D. is a great preacher. He's on the radio, on television. He's a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a faithful, courageous gospel preacher, and he has a new book out that I think is going to be really, really helpful for you, whether you're a new believer or someone who's been a believer for a long time. It's called Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in Ten Words, and he goes through what he considers, and I consider, I think, uh, the essential truths of the Christian faith. What are the things worth fighting for? What are the things that uh, matter? Uh, I think a lot of times Christians uh, get caught up in fighting for things that don't matter, and wasting energy and not fighting for the things that do matter. And this is kind of the topic of my next book, uh, Agents of Grace, that I'll tell you about more in a few weeks. J.D. Greer actually wrote the foreword for that. I'm really excited about that. But this book is Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. And I talked to J.D. about um, why he wrote this book, what his heart is for his church, why he, why he really cares that Christians hold fast to the truths, to the to the um, faith once delivered to the saints, as it says in Jude. And so I think you'll really enjoy this podcast, enjoy this, the leader's heart, the pastor's heart that J.D. Greer has. So uh, without further ado, let's join our conversation with my my friend, J.D. Greer. I'm glad to have my friend J.D. Greer back on the Way Home Podcast. J.D., thanks for making a return appearance, man. Oh, I love it, man. I always love spending time with you, Dan, and 
It's nice to be recorded. So, yeah, we can talk in public. Yeah, exactly. I have a copy of your brand new book here, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words, published by Good Book Company. You want to urge folks to get this. So I love this idea, you know, of, of kind of helping to shape people in terms of, you know, a, a new generation of Christians. Like, what are the essentials of the gospel? What are the things worth going to the mat for? What are the mm. things that we're supposed to believe? Um what what kind of inspired you to do this? You know, was it something that you're kind of seeing in your church? Like, hey, I need to, I need to help shape people in terms of what's really important versus what's not. I have two, maybe three answers <laughs> that I'll give to that. They're all short, though. Um, the first one is I've always been a big fan um, of the uh, mere Christianity, basic Christianity mm-hmm. kind of stuff, because while. You know, I mean, we're, we all have our, our more narrow convictions. Um, you know, right. A Baptist pastor and even served in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's all you ever need to think about. But there's something it just, it, you know, when you connect yourself to 2000 years of church history and mm-hmm. say, hey, Christians have disagreed on some things, but this is the essence of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, mere Christianity, obviously, that was written for a particular people, a particular time, very British flavor to it. But th- that, that's a book I continue to return to. And just like, mm-hmm. it's good for my soul. It's good. It's like almost like a chiropractor for my faith. The other one is Basic Christianity by John R.W. Stott, which for both my wife and I was one of the most profound books we read in college. And I remember telling somebody, this is where I had the idea for the book. That I didn't know whether is that a basic theology, soteriology is the fancy word, doctrine of salvation. Is that a basic soteriology for the Christian or was that like a beefed up evangelistic track for the the, the not yet believer? Mm-hmm. And you really don't know. I mean, it's it's like both groups really like it. Um, uh, people that aren't Christians find it very accessible, meaty, but accessible. And then people that are, are, are believers find it, like I said, as a chiropractor or a way of building the foundation. And so about the same time um, that I was thinking through that, um, I just taught through the book of Romans to our church over the course of a year. And um, I was just, I mean, of all the fruitfulness that I've ever seen in the preaching ministry God's given me, I, nothing compares to what happened in our church the year um, it was 2019 that I preached through the book of Romans. Um, mm-hmm. People that we had a thousand people profess faith in Christ that year. People that were just, I mean, their lives were transformed. And so I started to think like, okay, here you've got the most ancient gospel explanation in church history, which is the book of Romans, where Paul walks through this incredible logic, this flow of thought, starting with where these Romans were and then just moves them through questions of how do we know God exists and why doesn't mm-hmm. everybody believe in him? And, and uh, you know, what is the way of salvation? Why don't, what about religion? How come there aren't multiple ways of salvation? Isn't this too narrow? And why is the Christian life so hard? And I thought, yeah, it was written for particular people at a particular time, but the logic of the way it flows is something that is applicable to all people in all times. And so, um, you know, Roman stands by itself, but I thought, what if I took some of those high points of logic and then just turned that into a book for Western Americans using the, the, the course of Paul's logic. And that kind of leads me to my second answer, which is, you know, I've er- I read this years ago in a Martin Luther commentary that he, it was actually an intro that he had given to his preaching students and he, he just said, you know, never, never aspire to teach the church at large, teach your church. And if the church at large feels like you have something to say to it, they'll come to you. I wrote this book first and foremost for the Summit Church to give them a tool that they could use with unbelievers and seekers 
as a way of strength, you know, as a way of our members strengthening their own faith and sharing it with other people. And after I get into it, I thought, I actually think this might have a wider um, use. And a publisher said, you know, that's what we want to do. And so that's kind of how we got here. I, I do love that focus, you know, like, let's let me minister to, to my people here right right now first. And then if the church benefits, that's that's great. You know, you mentioned Stott. You know, one of the things I was going to say is it seems like every generation has a need for this kind of work. And, you know, even though I've been a Christian all my life, and I don't know if you have the same experience, when I go back and read a book like this or a book like Basic Christianity or Packer or someone who's saying, like, here is the essentials of the gospel, here is like – here's the things that matter. I always get refreshed in my soul, even though it's things we already kind of have known our whole lives. Right. So, you know, in one sense it's evangelistic, right? You're saying here's the base, here's the basic story of Christianity from, you know, this is what we believe for 2000 years. But then for those of us who've you've been Christian for a long time, it's, it's important for us, right? A kind of refresher. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You, you're actually, and that's kind of the, yeah, it's a beautiful setup to the last chapter of the book, you know, cause Paul's his big transition point in Romans is in chapter 12, where he says, therefore, Hmm. and it's the first word. And it's this hinge word that connects all the beauties of the gospel to all the transformation that we experience in our lives. And it's therefore it's in light of it's because of, and you know, one of the things I really kind of um, unpack in there is how the gospel is not just a diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It's the pool itself. Um, Mm. There's a song that we used to sing in these old Baptist churches I grew up in, which basically said, uh, you know, I love to tell the story to those who know it best. Mm. Yes. To hear it just like the the old hymn that just basically said um, it is, it is going deeper in the gospel that ultimately makes me come alive to use Martin Luther's analogy. um, Martin Luther said, he said, the gospel is like a well Um, you don't, you know, you don't get better water from the well by widening the circumference of the well. You get the better water by going deeper into it. And so I think Christians plunging deeper into the gospel find it's just new resources, the glory of God and and the depths of salvation. So, yeah, I do think that's been my own experience. The first book I wrote, Gospel, or I guess mm-hmm. the second, but first major book that I wrote, Gospel, was really about that. And and so this is like gospel was for specifically for the believer. This is really done with a view toward mm-hmm. people that are. So have a lot of questions about Christianity. Yeah. And, and I also think there's a need today to, to sort of, to sort of do that work. You know, some have called the theological triage or whatever, where mm. it's like, you know, and I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few years. Like, how do you, ho- like holding the center? Like, here's the, here, here are the things that are the gospel that the church has agreed on for 2000 years, like, you know, as Jude says, the faith once delivered to the saints. Mm-hmm. And and how do you live that way in a way that, you know, we have our convictions on secondary and tertiary issues, which are important, right? So I'm a convictional Baptist, you're a convictional Baptist. We have certain beliefs on some of those kinds of things, eschatology, end times, you know, you know, sign gifts, all that kind of stuff, baptism. Mm-hmm. And we have convictions on those that form our denominations and form the way some of we do the tighter church associations, but then also be open-handed toward the great tradition right? and toward, toward people who are holding to that center. It seems like today, correct me if I'm wrong. I find a lot of Christians are, are waste, are using a lot of energy fighting over tertiary thing, not even secondary, yep. tertiary things. And we're actually, which actually wastes energy that could be used to actually fight for the things that matter. 
Right. Does, you, does that make sense? Oh, my goodness. I, I feel like, yes, if someone should write a book on that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I know. That's right. Um, yeah, I do think that's one of the big questions of our time. It's like a, a, a question for the church in the United States in particular is what is the substance that we're supposed to unify and go forward on? And what do we even if we have strong convictions about it, what do we allow disagreement or, you know, I've heard the analogy closed hand, open hand. Yeah, we allow that. And obviously different levels of cooperation call for different levels of ecumenism. Mm -hmm. Um, I could march in the streets for a pro-life rally or against injustice with people who believe very different things than I do. Um, so that, that, that's a, you, you need a certain level of unity to fight for certain justice things. But when it comes to church planning, you need greater unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to evangelism, you, you need more unity than you would need to, to march in the streets for, you know, against injustice or, you know, for the cause of life. But you don't need as much unity as you would to plant a church with somebody. And that was kind of Billy Graham's thing is like, mm-hmm. let's, let's agree on this. And so essential Christianity is an, is a, um, an attempt to do that. Here is what, here's the gospel that we can unite on and win people to Christ on together. Even if my second conversation with them is here, are the things you should look for in a church. And that may mean right. a church, but that, right. that's not in this is book. The most controversial decision I made in this, Dan, um, you'll uh, I think find this interesting is I decided to keep in there a four page chapter on the question of sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. And I had some very well-meaning friends whose heart I trust, evangelistic friends who really care about um, seeing people want to Christ. They're like, look, I mean, yes, I agree with you on this, but that's you shouldn't put that in this book because that is a tertiary. Mm-hmm. And you should, yeah, uh, you know, that, that, that should be the 201 course that they take. You just need to focus on the gospel. And after a lot of thought and prayer and wrestling, I just I said no, because a Paul brings it up in Romans. It's part mm-hmm. of chapter one. Two, I do think it gets to the fundamental ideas of who we are as people and how we understand God and really how we understand the authority of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul in Romans represents sexual deviation as the epitome of our rebellion against the creator. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I have in there a, a four pages on um, what does the Bible really say about same sex attraction and homosexuality? Basically, the, the, the chapter is shaped around four, three or four myths that people believe mm-hmm. in the church and outside the church. And then at the end I, I, of that chapter, I kind of pull a C.S. Lewis. Um, if you've read his Mere Christianity and his chapter on sex, uh, Lewis ends that by saying, hey, if right now you want to throw this book across the room, it's OK to punt this issue for a while because the center of Christianity is not the ethics of sex, the center of Christianity is, is the cross of Jesus Christ and his lordship. And once you wrestle with that, that will lead you to the right conclusions on, on sex and what the mm-hmm. Bible teaches about that. And so I want to give people that permission. If you got somebody that's reading this, that is really just doesn't understand why Christians would be against homosexuality. I felt duty bound to explain it because everybody knows we believe this and because it's in there and I didn't want to avoid it, but I also want to give somebody permission to say, Hey, let's, we'll get to that in time right now. I want you to wrestle with the Lord. Yeah. So I, against my friend, whose name you would definitely know if I told you, I just said, I, I don't think the wise thing to do here is to avoid it. I think the wise thing to do here is to address it, but then give someone permission to say, Hey, we, we can come back to that in a little bit. If you're really struggling with, with the fundamental questions. Well, it's interesting because, you know, in the, the book that I'm writing that's coming out uh, on Christian unity. And I have a chapter on theological triage. Mm-hmm. I include that in one of the kind of, when I talk about Christian orthodoxy and things that we can't 
we can't agree to disagree on. Right. And I had a similar pushback. And one of the things I was thinking about is it's important to have it in there. And I think you frame it exactly right. Number one, it today, that's one of the chief objections people have to Christianity. Like they don't want to engage with Christianity because of that issue. Right. So to bring that up, number one, but number two, there's a, there's a real temptation, right. For evangelicals to say, well, I'm orthodox on everything, but this, Right. So I'm right. And so for you to put that in there t- to me seems to be important. I think it's cool that you have a forward or an afterword from Joe Gibbs, um, which is awesome. You know, when I was in it out, Dan, it was a forward, but, but Joe just so effectively like, like, but he just closed the deal. He called for, yeah. we can't close the deal before you've seen the deal. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Like, you want people to read the book. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. When I was a kid, I, I don't know if you remember this. When I was a, in high school, I read his biography, Fourth and One. Did you read that book I did when not. it came out? It was uh, about his Christian testimony and stuff. This was, I think, right when he was coaching or he maybe had just retired. From the, and from it was the, really transformative. Formerly called the Redskins. <laughs> yes. Yes. The commanders now, I guess, yes. whatever. So uh, I read that it was very inspiring, you know, so yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, I, I've had a chance to get to know him. That's why I asked him if he if he would do it. Um, went down, sat one of the coolest experiences of my life, sitting in the pit with him. You know, for that's one of amazing. Teams in NASCAR. But he, here's what was awesome about him. I mean, he's he's out. If you know anything about his life, he's dealt with some real tragedy. Now, in fact, just a few weeks ago, his second son died. Mm. The first one. Uh, died. They both have, have died tragically way too early. And he talks about how the gospel has given him resources just mm-hmm. to deal with that in ways that all the trophies, all the rings that he's it, it never could. But what I was saying was so impressive to me about him is he and I were in his little bus, you know, his, you know, before the NASCAR race. And as we're walking out to go into the pit area, the pit area is kind of a who's who type of place where all these, you know, famous NASCAR, Michael Jordan had a team right next to. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're getting ready to go in the pit area. And uh, so I'm with him. He grabs a stack of something. I didn't even see what it was. Just a stack of something. I noticed him put it in his pocket. So we go in that pit area and all these kids are running around trying to get autographs. What's amazing is that all the famous people, like all the athletes are coming up to him to get pictures and autographs. The only place he would give an autograph is he pulled up this little thing I saw him do. It was hit a track of his personal story of how he came to faith in Christ. Oh, wow. And his autograph there and handed it to him. The only place he would sign an autograph. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. very evangelistic. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. His book was an inspiration when I was in high school. You know, that, one of the things I love about essential Christianity, it's very evangelistic. So you're not just speaking to the choir, but you're speaking, you're, you're doing both. You know, Summit, you're, the church you lead, very evangelistic church, you know, it's woven the sort of being on mission for God and the world is woven into, you know, from the earliest ages throughout all your uh, kids and, and going up through and send, it's ascending church, right? We've talked about that before. I guess I have a question about evangelism today. You know, it seems like, you know, you and your people on the front lines of evangelism, are people more or less open to gospel presentation? Is this a different time? I think of like when Billy Graham was evangel, you know, doing his crusades that at least in the West, there was this kind of framework that people understood Christianity. I mean, they weren't believers, but they understood the framework. So you could kind of skip ahead to Romans and John and sort of close the deal, if you will. Today, it seems like people don't even know the basic contours of Christianity. Uh, Are you seeing that yourself? And is this one of the reasons why you wanted to write this to kind of say, here's actually the full story? Yeah. And not to quibble with you, but one of the reasons that I wanted to go to Romans specifically is Romans doesn't start with that assumption. 
Right. It starts with creation with what can clearly be seen and known. And so, yeah, I found that people, the days of, let's just use a classification of like the seeker service or the seeker Mm -hmm. presentation. Um, Jesus is the missing piece in your life. I, I don't think that is the kind of evangelism that's most effective in right now, whether I'm preaching or whether I'm one-on-one or in the mm-hmm. way I wrote the book, I think what you're inviting people to do is to adopt an entirely different narrative for what is good and true and beautiful. And that means that you have to stop and say, let's kind of start from the beginning and let me present to you a completely alternative narrative that actually makes better sense than the narrative that you were choosing to live in. And what that means is unlike previously, it, it would, you know, it would help people if you would minimize some of the controversial stuff like the gender stuff, because you're just trying to eliminate obstacles. Well, now I kind of give them the whole ball of crazy right up front. Like right. there's a whole different way of looking at the world. And if God is God, that means that um, being made in his image has implications. And so I, you know, it's, it, it's people are still very open to it. I just think you have to approach it differently. I, it has to be a little bit more intellectual, a little bit more holistic and less just kind of like Jesus is the answer for why you're sad at night, mm. you know, that, that kind of stuff. So it, the answer is sort of a qualified yes to that. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. Requires. Tim Keller, one of the things he's done that's been so um, helpful for me is his book, Reason for God, is written around what he calls the defeaters, mm-hmm. things that keep people from even getting off the ground when it comes to um, investigating faith. I have those, but they're laced into this narrative that Romans gives us about the history of the, of, of the human race. Mm-hmm. That book reason for God is hugely formative. You know, I think in terms of the way you th- approach evangelism, apologetics. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting, JD, people are looking for an alternate, an alternate story, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're even seeing this with the sexual revolution, right? That even secular folks are starting to say, you know, this sexual revolution, has this actually been good for women? Has it been good for children? Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a couple books that have come out in the last few years by feminists saying, I'm not sure this is good, that that the idea of, of consent is is the only ethic in terms of uh, sexual ethics. So right. the sexual freedom, do, thing, the, the greatest victim of that has been women, if not unborn yeah. babies right behind that. It's been, been, so you're probably seeing, too, where people are starting to question the narratives that they've been told and saying, is there a better story out there? Right. Is there something yeah, the better good, out the there? The good, the true, and the beautiful. I, I've heard I may not be able to re- recreate this perfectly, but. You know, um, go, rewind the um, clock back to when Josh McDowell was writing evidence for a verdict. The question is, what's true? What's the best and most truest explanation of the facts? Then when you think of uh, like Bill Hybels and, and Rick Warren, the question becomes, um, what is most fulfilling? What brings me the most satisfaction in life? What, what really helps me find my purpose? You know, then what you've got now is you've got a, a new generation and theirs is what what most promotes the good, the true, and the beautiful? Um, what's mm. and you've got to show there's a narrative that actually um, leads to human flourishing, leads to justice, not injustice, leads to selflessness, not exploitation. And the gospel is the best narrative explanation for how we get there and why we're not there now. Mm, that's really good. Well, JD Greer, I want to just encourage folks to get this book. Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel, uh, in 10 words, a great resource for uh, your church and small group or whatever. And uh, J.D., thanks for joining me, man. I, I always appreciate you coming on, and thanks for writing the forward for my next book. Oh, I, man, I'm, I'm honored to be on here, even more honored to write that forward because I, I'm excited about yours coming out. So Awesome. So can can we – can we, Until yours gets out. How about that? 
Yeah, yeah. Read this first, and then you can understand mine. I want to end with an NBA question. Just want to see where you're at. Jordan's still the goat. Are you getting oh. a little nervous because LeBron's going to break Kareem's record? Yeah. Are you nervous, or is Jordan still the goat and always and forever? Just, I mean, it's just it. it the, the hard part about challenging Jordan is there's so many paradigms that were changed about basketball through him, and so the right. farther you get away from it, you realize the game of basketball changed the style of it, right. all of it. And, and people, they, they approximate Jordan. And I love LeBron, but, you know, I, I don't think yeah. history will look back and see him as the pinnacle that Jordan was. Yeah, I feel in my, you know, I'm from Chicago, so obviously Jordan is the GOAT. I feel like, the you know, if Jordan's one, LeBron's like two, or maybe, you know, can you do one and one A? I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if he breaks Kareem's record, you know, yeah. he's done quite a, he, he's 38, still playing at a high level, but I still got to hang on to that. That's you right. know, Jordan. So That's right. anyways, but thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it and uh, encourage Absolutely. folks to get this book. Thank you. Bro. Thank you for listening to this edition of the way home podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.